This is Growth Masters. The show for CEOs, CMOs, and anyone wanting to keep up with what's new in the world of business, marketing, and tech. You're in conversation with Robert Tadros. Welcome, everyone, to the Growth Masters podcast. I'm your host, Robert Tadros. I am very excited about our guest today. It's the one and only Kerwin Ray. For those of you that don't know Kerwin, Kerwin is an entrepreneur, investor, and an international speaker. As one of Australia's leading business strategists, helping business owners succeed for over a decade, he has consulted in 11 countries and over 154 different industries and taught 100,000 people all over the world through seminars and workshops. Today, Kerwin has helped his clients make well in success of $100 million. Kerwin, welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, mate. Appreciate you having me. Good to have you on. Mate, we are going back to back this morning. It's like we podcast are. Tuesdays. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer Taco Tuesdays, but Podcast Tuesdays, I think, might be my new favorite. Well, yeah, we'll take it. Why not? Mate, 100,000 businesses, 154 different industries, like 11 different countries. You're a busy man. Mate, we are, and we've been doing it for a long time. The only number that's not not right there, it's, it's uh, we, we've generated over a billion dollars for our clients, probably just in the last ten years. Okay, um, yeah, nice. and yeah, and look, we're very we're very blessed to do what we do. Much like you, I get to work with some incredible people in, in a range of different businesses. Well, talk to me about that, right? A hundred billion is a lot of money, right? So, but no, a billion, the, uh, not a hundred billion, a billion. Not oh, one billion. one billion, over, one billion. over a billion. Right. Get your yeah. numbers right, Rob. Get your numbers right. <laughs> <laughs> um, mate, I'm keen to hear a little bit more about that, right? Like, what's yeah, what's your approach? What do you what do you do? You know, like if I approached you and I said, it's so uh, interesting. Yeah, like how would you help me? Look, I um, you know, because I've been doing this for so long, and I started off as a co- going back twenty odd years ago. I was a copywriter, so I w- I'd been a salesman for a very long time and a range of different businesses. I'd had a couple of businesses myself. And then I started getting into script writing for some of the businesses that I was involved in from a sales perspective. And the script writing naturally led me to be interested in, in copywriting. And I started doing a lot more copy and that led to me starting to do more marketing. Um, and so when I first started my first businesses, I had a very strong skill set in the area of sales and marketing, but I was weak in pretty much every other skill set. I was weak when it came to administration. I was weak when it came to, you know, bookkeeping. I was weak when it came to leadership and accounting. And, you know, so for me, going back 20, 25 years ago, my business journey is very different to what it is now. Yet, 25 years ago, it was all about leads. It was all about sales. Mm-hmm. You know, it was all about generating revenue and cash flow. And that, cause that was a big part of my focus. Whereas now it's so contrastly different. You know, I have a very, very solid model and method that I work with my clients. And I, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't have a lot of, um, you know, for someone that does what I do, I don't have a lot of products that people can buy. And I only have really one group that I, two groups that I work with. My clients will work with me for three days and then the clients will work with me for 12 months to, to seven years. And whether they work with me for three days or for a year or seven years or whether someone, you know, pays me half a million dollars to go in and do a turnaround on a company, my model is exactly the same. And I always start with the, the individual and the mindset. Uh, and that's where it's probably our biggest point of difference. And don't get me wrong, we've got world-class business process, uh, but one of the things that we do probably better than anyone else is is the area of performance psychology and therapeutic wow. psychology. You know, because one of the things that I've just identified in performance is you've got, there's got to be an understanding of psychology. There's got to be an understanding of you know performance factors, mm. but there's also got to be an understanding of self. And you know, one of the things I've observed with entrepreneurs, and I don't know if you've observed this yourself, but I, I often find entrepreneurs can have stuff that weighs them down. Mm. You know, they can have stuff that is you know whether it's something they're trying to prove or something the wound that they're trying to heal. Uh, oftentimes they use business as a vehicle to just try and, you know, 
create an identity for themselves. And so one of the things that we do is we help people just, you know, reconcile that and, um, you know, deal with whatever issues that they've got going on and kind of realize that business is a 360 degree organism. If you're, if you've got shit going on in your personal life, it's going to be affecting your business life. So mindset's a big part of it. Strategic planning is the second part of it. Marketing is the third part. Fourth part is sales. And the fifth part is, uh, is leadership and scale development. And so we use that five, five pillar model. And so whether I'm working with a startup and we don't work with too many startups, most of the clients that we work with are post-revenue, like one to three mil, sorry, one to 300 mil from one team member to, you know, 3000 plus team members. We do work with a few startups, but, you know, I don't play a lot in that space. Main reason being is it's, it's fraught with danger. You know, it is a high, high risk space. It costs a lot more money. Whereas for me, I know if I can find the fundamental, and that's why whenever I work with even my high-end clients, they go through two to three interviews before we choose to work with them. And it's probably the most scrutinous. Like people say, oh, what's your sales process? And I'm like, I'm, it's like, it is so anti-sales. It really is because I scrutinize the clients that I work with because I know much like you do, mate, when you've got a formula, you know, you just need the right business. And for me, you know, a big part of having the right business is having the right person that will take direction and a business that's already got a level of momentum and no offense to the startup world, but it's hard to, it's a lot harder to multiply zeros than yeah. it is to multiply, <laughs> you know, ones and twos and threes. And, you know, I, and, and I've, as I said, work with plenty of startups, but I do, there's nothing like for me, you know, being able to, and if you look at our K2s as an example, those hiring clients, it's about one in three to one in four that will 2X to 10X in their first 18 months to two years. And so we've got an incredibly impressive track record but it's based on really solid fundamentals. And it's much like Federer. You know, the reason he's become the greatest tennis player that he has become is because he's practiced his fundamentals. And our fundamentals is mindset, planning, marketing, process, sales, customization, and then the leadership and skills development. And, you know, if you can get those fundamentals, and obviously there's techniques and strategies within each one of those key areas. But for us, it's, it's, it's almost like a, a sure thing when we work with a client that we know what we can do with them. Again, as long as it's the right client. Yeah, yeah. I, like you, mate, I, we have a dickhead free zone in our business. So we're very selective. Yeah. Do you find out of those, um, so out, out, out of those pillars, is there one specific pillar that you find you spend a lot of time yes. getting right? Yeah. Let me guess, is it mindset? It's a mindset. <laughs> it's a mindset. And, you know, it's so interesting, but that's where our, we have such supreme value because, and you've seen, you've probably seen this yourself, Rob, you can give two people the same information, you know, yeah. and I've seen this thousands of times i'll give two people the same information one will go and make millions or tens of millions of dollars with it mm. in a period of 12 months and the other person will fuck it up 52 ways to friday yeah and blame them the information blame the economy blame the, people, the market blame the, the product yeah. and it's, you know there's a there's a disproportionate requirement for accountability and responsibility as an entrepreneur especially at a professional level and this is the the language that i use and i'll probably you know land with the audience like i don't I don't treat what I do. I don't consider myself a business owner mm. and I don't consider my clients that I work with business owners. I consider them to be professional, elite professional business athletes, you know, because when you look at like, and, and again, I, I love that. Well, think about it. You've got kids fucking that literally drink, you know, Red Bull and eat fucking twisties. And all they do is play video games and they're $50 million esports sponsored athletes. Yeah. You know, to me, what determines whether, you know, someone's capability is their skill set 
but also their, how much they're actually earning for their skill set. Mm. You know, and if you're a business owner, if you're a low level professional, you'll earn a little bit of money. But if you're an elite professional business owner, you'll earn a lot of money. And how do you know that? Because you're very competitive. Okay. And your performance produces a, a substantial amount of revenue in the form of, you know, we call it revenue and profit in the sporting world. It's endorsements and winnings that determines that we, you know, we, 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 we sit in a certain position. And I think a lot of people fail to understand when you look at sports psychology or whether it's elite spec ops psychology or whether it's business psychology, it's all very similar. It's all one mm. of the same, mm. you know, and if you can master what those fundamentals are, the most important fundamental being psychology and being able to manage that and being able to develop. And this is the thing when we look at psychology, because there are so many aspects to a psychology that, you know, we work with, with clients, but one of the biggest ones is around the development of resilience and the development of grit and mm. learning how to regulate stress at a professional level, learning how to regulate emotions at a professional level. Because when you look at elite professional sports or elite spec ops, the only, you know, 99 out of a hundred times when someone gets into trouble is because they can't regulate their experience. You know, they've either got an excess of stress hormones, an excess of emotional, you know, peptides in their body. And as a result, their perspective is so skewed or they're so affected that they can't respond and perform at the level that's required. And so when I train with business owners, I literally, because I've, I've, I've had the great privilege, I've trained with the Navy SEALs in the US, I've trained with the Ukrainians, uh, Ukrainian Special Forces. You know, I've been exposed to a lot of um, conditioning processes that's been used by military, but also elite professional sports. And I teach that to business owners. Because what you know, what you probably understand, and what most business owners understand, but what they don't necessarily correlate, is that business is stressful. Being a professional athlete is stressful, but it's understanding how to utilize stress in an effective way that determines the difference between an amateur and a professional. You know, you look at elite professional athletes; they don't compete in the absence of stress. Yeah. They compete. <laughs> they compete in the presence of enormous amounts of stress, but they've learned how to utilize that stress and turn that pressure into some kind of a magic, you know what I mean? That enables them to perform and pull off incredible stuff. And, you know, I think so often in business, we're taught to avoid stress rather than utilize it in healthy and effective ways to produce the results that we're looking for. You know, you don't become competitive by averting and avoiding stress. You don't become resilient by avoiding stress. You become, you know, resilient and competitive by learning how to utilize stress in healthy ways and in effective ways. And it just so happens that, you know, stress and Emotional regulation, stress regulation, especially for elite spec ops and also for professional uh, elite professional athletes. You know, there's a significant body of work there. We've got like 30 years of 30, you know, three decades of work that give us an insight into how to perform as elite professional athletes in a range of different levels. And one of them, another one that most business owners neglect is understanding the game of energy and recovery, you know, and that's part of grit. And this is a really interesting aspect of grit that most people don't really understand. You know, there's, there's many layers to grit and Stephen Kotler's book, The Art of Impossible, he talks about a few of them, but one of them is the grit to recover. And, I, and I'll ask you this question, Rob, because you probably have the same thing. Do you ever feel guilty about taking time off? Fucking all the time. I know. <laughs> it's always like the entrepreneurial curse, right? We feel like, fucking terrible. Fuck, I shouldn't be taking time off right now. No. But let me ask you a question. You know, if Federer is balls to the wall and he's exhausted and he's got, you know, the biggest grand slam of his life coming up in a week and he's exhausted, do you think he's going to feel guilty for taking three or four days off? No. No, because that's his mindset as an elite professional athlete. These guys understand that they have to recover if they want to compete. You know, and I think as business owners, we, we, we forget that. We forget that, that we need to recover. And when we try to recover, we feel guilty. And so as a result, we don't have active recovery. 
know, we have more active stress. Mm. And this is a key ingredient for being able to develop resilience is having rest periods and having recovery periods so that your body, your system, your resilience, your immune function can bounce back, you know, stronger than what it was previously so that you can become more resilient, more gritty, you know, and be able to- And not, and not get into the, the, the burnout phase, right? Which I think a lot of entrepreneurs- And, and, and this and, is the thing, how guilty do people feel about taking time off? And, they, and, they, and, and oftentimes when people take time off, they say, I feel like I'm wasting time. Mm. But how much time do we waste when we burn out? Exactly right. And some don't even so recover from that, right? Like exactly. It's, some of it has permanent permanent damages. That's bloody interesting, huh? Like I can I can I can only resonate with a lot of what you're saying, right? Like last year I went through this program, which was in Sydney, actually. I'm not going to mention the name because I don't want to necessarily uh, give them a massive plug here. But I, <laughs> it was a uh, it was it was a program based out in uh, out in Sydney, and it was really about taking taking us out of our comfort zone. Right. So you train for about 90 days or so. And it's it's run by a lot of the guys. Like, you know, there's an ex-Navy SEAL in there. And it's yep. you know all about, you know, I think you can you, you can pretty much imagine what this is, what this is like, right? It was like 40 hours, no sleep, and it was just digging fucking deep, right? Like digging so deep to the point where you're like, you know, a lot of the times we doubt ourselves. We're like, oh fuck, okay, there's no way I can do this. You know, I've been up for 12 hours, I'm bloody tired, I haven't eaten, I haven't slept, I'm wrecked. There is no way I'm gonna be able to achieve this. And it is so surprising how much you can fucking push yourself. Yeah. Right. It is like unlocking certain parts of the brain, which I didn't even yeah. realize even existed in the first place. So a lot of what you're saying is actually starting to come back to me now because yeah, I, I went through it quite recently and we go through it in business on a daily basis, right? Some don't like to go there because it's very uncomfortable. Um, and some look for it, right? They look for those for, for, for those uncomfortable positions because that's how they grow and they're able to, to push themselves. Absolutely. Um, mate, so you're lucky. I'm, I'm lucky to even be sitting here speaking to you right now because, you know, I've, I've read that you probably shouldn't even be alive. So, <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I, I used to say I've got, like, I've got nine lives, but I stopped saying that when I started getting close because <laughs> I didn't want to tap myself out. Mate, I want to I wanted to shift gears a little bit, right? So I was reading like, you know, you failed pretty much uh, every subject at school. You battled yes. addiction. You've encountered yep. six near-death experiences. Let's call it yep. nine now, um, including a stroke. Like, what the fuck? What happened? Mate, if you ask my doctor, my doctor says that I have a complex medical history. So, you know, I've, I'm very lucky. I've, I've had a stroke, uh, you know, two pulmonary embolisms. I've also, through my eventful life, you know, I've been shot out at the door on the door of a nightclub. I had a gun put in my mouth. I've been stabbed. Uh, I nearly drowned off burly heads. You know, I've had two skydiving accidents, uh, one of them which was, quite, which was quite serious. And, you know, as I said, after a while, I stopped counting because it was almost like, people say oh you're like a cat you've got nine lives and i i just stopped counting at about six six or seven because um you know after a while but it starts to add up but to be fair i've i've tasted mortality a number of times intimately but in terms of actually having what i'd refer to as a proper near-death experience where i actually nearly you know passed over that was when i had the stroke and that was probably one of the most interesting um, experiences in my life. I mean, look, I'm sure about it. I'm sure it's changed you as a as a person, gave you a completely different perspective on life, right? Do you think if it wasn't for that, you wouldn't be who you are today? Yeah, look, I, I'm very grateful for every single experience. And I think mortality, you know, mortality has this way of teaching us lessons that very few experiences have the capacity to do. Because it's not until you really question and you really reflect deeply on either your mortality or someone whose mortality you hold a very high value on and that you really start to, you know, and as you start to value certain things, other values become more important. And, you know, I've had a number of near-death experiences and I, I don't regret any single one of them because every time I have one and the stroke was probably the, you know, the, the, 
the, the, the pinnacle is every time it happened, I just started to appreciate life a little bit more. Mm. And the more I started to appreciate, and it sounds so cliche, right? But it's so true. But when you talk about life, what are we talking about? We're talking about time, mm. right? And the, the way you invest your time determines what you, what are your genuine priorities. And it's so easy for people to say, oh, you know, this is important, but that's important. But then you look at their behaviors and where they invest their time. And those things that they say are important, aren't important at all, you know? And so to me, if, if you, if anyone says to me, well, i I want to be able to achieve something. And I say, well, what are your priorities? The first thing I look at is where are they investing their time? Where mm. are their behaviors? Because that tells me everything. And so for me, every time I've, I've, I've experienced uh, or tasted mortality, whether it's been my own or someone close to me, it's just made me value time. And as a result, I've been, you know, really effective at the way that I apply it, both strategically, tactically, you know, adventurously, uh, in a range of different areas of my life to the point where I, like, I literally feel like, and I don't joke when I say this, I feel like I've lived about five or six lifetimes. You know, I, I joke that I've had you know, six near-death experiences, but I, I mean that because I just have really lived as much as I possibly can because I do have such a high value on time. And so I do push the envelope. I am obsessive. I don't do anything lightly. Um, you know, I'm, 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 yeah, I, I don't think I was put together the same that every, necessarily everybody does from the perspective of this juice for wanting to just do things and um yeah, yeah it's interesting and, and what's what's quite interesting about what you say there is like you know a lot of leaders and, and entrepreneurs and people in business mate we fucking sprint right we keep yeah. running and running and running and running and yeah. you know it's like what are we actually running to i mean the end is death right so we just keep fucking running towards death so you know learning i guess the art of like really just slowing down and embracing that like present moment awareness is is an art in itself big right it's it's huge huge because as we just run we, we're missing moments we're missing things with it with our children or with our you know our staff or our talent or you know whoever it may be they're key moments right and well, we just fly right fucking past them we do and it's not until we have moments that snap us out of it and you know the mentality has been one and that's why i asked you in my podcast about you know mateo your son how it affected you because what was interesting for me is when i found out my ex-wife was pregnant that affected me like no other experience on the planet from the value perspective of time, you know, I restructured the entire organization. I completely reinvented the entire product suite. I reinvented the entire company based on this whole perspective that I need to get more time back. And it's not until we value something that we prioritize and we get smart. hundred percent. Look, uh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I can definitely resonate with that point as well. Cause even with Mateus, I mentioned to him on the, on, on the podcast, like he's my everything at the moment. Yeah. You know, I love the kid to death. You know, I love getting in the car with him in the morning, you know, go riding to school and bloody playing Madagascar in the background. And, you know, that's, that's just enjoying that moment. And, and, and uh, it's, it's so, so, so very, very important. So where's business at at the moment? Mate, where are you guys is, at and where are you going? We, um, we've been going for 21 years this week, this year. And so, you know, Congrats. in our industry, that's a long time. It's huge. Um, and, um, you know, we're a multi eight figure organization and, but we're in an industry where we're, predominantly live events. And last year, the Australian live events industry, 96% of the live events industry in Australia last year was wiped out. And so mm. we last year, because we're, we're not just, a, you know, I guess you could say, we're not just a brand company. Like we run ourselves like a, like a military operation, like a, you know, like a publicly listed company. And so even though we took, you know, like everyone else in live events last year, we took a significant hit mm. in terms of revenue, like a 10 figure plus hit in terms of an impact. We've prepared for a very long time for, you know, any type of vol volatility in the market. And that just, you know, a lot of that comes down to just my psychology. Like I'm always preparing for something. And so, you know, last year was big for us because it gave us the opportunity to, 
really look at where we were as an organization because we had been growing so rapidly for so many years uh, with exponential levels of growth. We've become a little bit of a fat Labrador where we just kept on hiring and hiring. And you, you, know, you basically end up just going, we've got this problem. What's that problem? This is the problem. Okay, can we just hire someone to fix it? And before you know it, like we were at, you know, close to 90 people in the team. You know, we had 700 squares in, we still do. We still got 700 square minutes uh, office in, in Piermont, but we were just fat. And so when COVID came in, it, it, it required us to do a number of things. We had to pivot and adapt to a virtual and a hybrid environment. Well, first of all, it was a virtual environment and then hybrid. But the second thing we had to do is really look at the efficiencies of the function within the business, you know, because we, you know, we, are, we have to make a considerable amount of money before we get out of bed. And so we had to look at the functions and go, right, where are we too fat? Where are we too lean? And how do we, how do we optimize? And so, you know, it was probably one of the hardest things I've ever had to do last year was go through a restructure because the worst thing was we didn't have to let people go because we were in a good position historically. But from a business case perspective, from a cash flow perspective, it just didn't make sense to hold, so hold on to certain people because it was just creating greater levels of vulnerability. And so that was big for us, big for me, especially because even though, you know, I knew it was the right thing to do, it was still, like you said, you know, they're, they're people's lives. Um, 100%. But sometimes you've got to realize, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's better to, and I, this is going to sound horrible, but it is what it is to sacrifice the, the few than sacrifice everybody. Exactly right. And, um, you know, for us, We've just finishing, I think I was saying before, we've just finished building a, um, a spec sound-rated soundstage here in Byron with a beautiful sound-rated podcast studio next door. And so it's forced us to, to really innovate our business model and the way that we capture content, deliver content. All of our events now, we do a, a hybridize. So we'll have a live event where we run them and live events have been coming back now for, for a few months, but we'll also have a hybrid component where we're, we're streaming that into you know, to our clients around the world. And so we're in the transition processes at the moment. We've just gone through uh, last year, we finished a three-year implementation on a massive you know, seven-figure CRM project that blew up. And so we had to bring in recovery for that. And so we're now on the arse end of that recovery uh, in a new CRM project. So we've had an eventful couple of years, but you know, I guess it's like anything. If you, if you really enjoy what you do, it's just new content. Yeah, for us, <laughs> and for me, this is quite little because I film everything I do. So whenever fucking something happens, it's just content. You know, if something good happens, great, content. Something bad happens, great, content. All right, we've got content. We've got content for fucking days, for years even. So look, at the end of the day, we're, we're in a really good spot. We've, we've really put in some solid pins in the ground for that economic rebound that I think a lot of people are, uh, are looking forward to come post pandemic, you know, historically, whenever there's been any kind of pandemic, historically, there's been a bit of an economic boom period, you know, after that. And as long as <clears throat> everyone plays nice and China doesn't do anything that ruffles <laughs> the feathers of the rest of the world, you know, I think we're all in for a reasonably um, solid economic period for the next few years. But again, I think uh, we've, a lot of people got to understand the importance of um, just getting the fundamentals right. And, and being able to scale on solid solid fundamentals. And that's where we've been very lucky. After 20, it's taken me a long time, as I said, 21 years, but we've got some very solid, solid fundamentals in place. And our business as an extension is literally like a laboratory. Everything we try, we refine it, and then we give it to our clients. It's a very good analogy. I like that. Let, let's talk about fundamentals for a second, right? So, and this is a question you asked me around, how do you get the mix of, you know, the, the, the right people in, you know, in the business doing, sitting in the right seats, doing the right things? Yeah. Right. Um, what's your approach to that? You know, like how do you find, and as, as, as you said on the previous, on, on your podcast, Unstoppable, that yeah. it's very hard to find good talent. Yes. Right? So, what's your approach? You know, like how do you go on about finding the right people? I mean, you said you're a business of 90 people, right? That's a, yeah. that's a lot of people. Um, we were. We're down now to, like, we've reduced our headcount to just over 50 now. And, yep. but, you know, over the last 10 years, we've probably hired gosh, hundreds, probably, right? 
yeah, I'd say I think the number over the last 10 years was that was probably north of 600, 700 people. Yeah, and wow. that, so that therein lies the, the, the first answer to that question is, you know, how do you get it right? Well, first of all, you fuck it up for the first 15 years <laughs> <laughs> as spectacularly as possible. You create as much pain, as, as much discomfort uh, and lose as much money as you possibly can until at some point you go, hmm, there's got to be a better way to do this. And uh, for us, the better way for us to do this was to really just become more people-centric. And it was so interesting. It wasn't until 2015 that I really focused on myself as a leader. Mm. Up until that point, I hadn't really focused on myself mm. as a leader. I just focused on myself as an entrepreneur, you know, as a hustle guy, as maybe a coach if I'm lucky, but I'm, I'm a hard coach. Like I'm not the kind of, I'm not a soft and fuzzy kind of coach. Like I'm the kind of coach that gets the job fucking done. And so not that I'm, ruthless or brutal although I have aspects that can be quite harsh you know I'm I'm a very intense personality and so I've had to learn probably like you mate you, you know that my edge depending on the sensitivity of the person that's experiencing it you know has different volumes have different experiences has different textures and so for me learning how to lead has probably been one of the biggest challenges because it's learning how to deal with other people and I'm on the spectrum and so I have you know very high sensory acuity when it comes to social environments but um you know, I just don't necessarily um, have an issue. I don't have this this part of my brain where I have to feel like I need to exchange social niceties or mm. or sugarcoat things. Like I'm mm -hmm. very comfortable walking into a cold situation where I know no one, and going. And if someone's talking, I'm, oh mate, by the way, you've got bad breath. Like I just and I and it's not because I'm a bad person. It's just I'm very. You know, and my, my partner would just say, You're just too honest. And it's like, yes, I have a very high value on honesty, but I just have this no filter approach to life, if yeah. that makes sense. And as a like leader, a as a leader, that can be very confronting for team members, especially if they're new, especially if they're junior. Um, and so, you know, it was so easy, you know, when I was making so many mistakes as a leader to go, well, it's just the team member. They just don't have the maturity. They don't have the thick skin. They don't have the, the experience. But at the end of the day, it was me, you know, and I, I had to eat a lot of humble pie to get to the point where, you know, Jocko Willink says it best, there are no bad teams, there are just bad leaders, mm. you know, and that to me requires and implies an incredible level of responsibility to be able to look at every single function in your business, whether it's performing or not, and going, that's my fault. Well, at the end of the day, a business is a reflection of its leader, right? Absolutely. And, you know, if people think it's not their fault, then it's absolutely their responsibility to do something about it. Because you know, whether I hired someone or they someone else within the department hired someone, I hired the person that hired that person. Correct. You know? So the buck stops with me and, you know, the way I've had to learn how to navigate and communicate around those interactions has been big, but it's only been in the last, and this has been interesting, actually, you probably enjoy this. We, we uh, put in a C-suite in the last 18 months, two years. So during COVID, we implemented a C-suite into the organization. And it was during a period where, you know, we were, we were taking hits on revenue. Um, and what I would have normally done in situations like that is I would have put myself more into the business. Mm but I actually pulled myself more out of the business. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> if, 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 if there's going to be a time that's important for these guys to learn what they're doing, now's, now's as good a time as any. And it was, um, yeah, it was a really interesting period last year to get to the point where we've now got C-suites, you know, across all the different functions. I'm now not interfacing necessarily with every single team member, which is probably a good thing because mm. I, I do, you know, I don't, uh, I, I, I do require a level of a rapport with someone to have, you know, solid interactions. Did you find that um, challenging though? Because, you know, like if you've hired them and, you know, you've, they've reported straight into you, if you've been, you've been yeah. around, they've got access to Kerwin, right? And yeah. then all of a sudden there's no access to Kerwin. 
Well, to me, here's what I've learned. It's, uh, it's an evolutionary thing. And you'll always have what I call the legacy team. And they're the legacy team that are used to how things used to be. Mm. You know, oh, I, I used to have access to, to, you know, to rub all the time. It's like, well, that, you know, that's a legacy perspective. And the more that that legacy perspective is brought in, the harder it's going to be for them. And the harder it's going to be for everyone around them that is comparing, you know, their interaction to what the older interaction was. Yeah. And so we've had to invest an enormous amount of time in two things, educating the team, but also realizing the importance of what's the polite way of, uh, of just breakage. And what I mean by that, breakage isn't the right word. <laughs> attrition, attrition, yeah. Yeah, attrition yeah. is the right word. Because what we've discovered is as we've started to grow and mature as a business, so has the team. Because mm. I went through, through a very strong period where I, I had, you know, the, 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 the majority of my team members were probably 20 to 35, you know, because I wanted the young and the vibrant and the dynamic team and everyone was full of energy. But then over time, you start to realize the cost of that, the cost of inexperience, you know, the cost of, you know, some of those things is quite great. And so as our team has iterated, we've, we've, we've found certain legacy team members just get it and they understand the commercial nature of it and they just get it. And then other legacy team members don't. And then they just kind of, you know, peel away. And that's okay as well. It's like clients, a reason, a season, a lifetime. But what we're finding now, especially with the C introduction of C-suite, um, we've got a much more mature headline of talent or, you know, especially at the leadership level, executive level. Uh, and then we've got the, you know, with the development of middle management, which, you know, and again, this is so interesting because I don't know if you've ever read um, or followed Zappos story, you know, the Zappos story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I used to be a mad advocate of Tony Shea, right? Like, and I, I, I took all of my clients to fucking Zappos <laughs> twice in the US. Um, you know, I even read when he was going through Holacracy. Do you remember yeah, when he was yeah, going yeah. through Holacracy? So I read the book Reinventing Civilizations by Frederick Leloux, which is probably one of the most difficult fucking books I've ever read in my entire life, by the way. <laughs> but it was interesting because it talked about the evolution of human organization based on where we are in a conscious cycle. You know, and it talks about how, you know, going back, you know, you, centuries ago how we civilized was in small communities in the mm. form of villages and then those villages became you know towns little and towns cities, and cities suburbs and, and, yeah. and, and that was a reflection he said of how we organize human organization and you know businesses within that that are born within those stages of organization reflect the level of organization in humanity at that time and um you know with the advent of the industrial age and management and middle management and senior management and executives like you know he, their theory was holacracy and also when you look at tony shea was there's too many levels of management you have to pull all the layers of management out yeah. and this go flat scale and um you know tony shea is, is i guess in many ways may he rest in peace such an incredible man um you know he really did do something that was very difficult to do because i tried easily for eight years to, to maintain flat structure complete mm. flat structure you know, the holacracy kind of method mm. you know and it was very difficult because at some point when you when you're in a in a model where you're trying to scale where you're trying to remove dependency you know we just found that hierarchy was required levels of hierarchy was required levels of maturity was required but i'll tell you right now i gave the fucking the flat structure a red hot go um but and we got the best from it don't get me wrong. We learned a lot of really valuable stuff from it around the importance of, you know, direct chains, direct, direct lines of communication, communication, you know, communication up and down the chain, you know, cause oftentimes, you know, communication can be going well in one direction, but it's not going well in the other directions. Mm -hmm. understanding the chain of communication and you know that that was very helpful um but now yeah now that we have a little bit more management in place it's it's certainly made life a lot easier that's amazing it sounds like an amazing transformation and, and a lot of learnings 
right? Yeah. Like eight, eight, eight years of, of, of giving it a really hot crack. I mean, we oh, we we we've, we are going into a flat structure at the moment. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Fuck, so sorry, here, mate. <laughs> hearing this is going. Fuck. Well, here's retract, what I'm retract, saying. Retract. I, no, no, keep going, but just be flexible. You know, be agile, be adaptable, and mm. you know, don't remove something if it works. You know, yeah. and and. I, Tony, and, and you probably know much of Tony's story. He blew a lot of shit up. Yeah. You know, he, he blew a lot of shit up. And when you go to Zappos, and as I said, I've been to Zappos a couple of times, it's not a traditional culture. It's, he's created something quite special that it is quite unique. But there are a lot of aspects within the holacracy and the flat structures that if are incorporated into a hierarchical model, so yeah. to speak. So it's more of a hybrid of model, right? Yes. Yeah, definitely more, more more of a hybrid model yeah which is which is i guess to some degree what we're trying to create at the moment you know as i mentioned to you i've appointed a gm and um the intention of that is to, to move rob out of the business a little bit have him work on it rather than in it and with that becomes a you know a, a flatter structure but there is still a bit of hierarchy in there as well right and yeah. there, there, there are different lines of communication from different departments and different teams so yeah we, we are trying to you know create something unique and it is a mix or blend of flat and and layered. Let, let, let me give you a neurological argument. And I only just thought of this right now as to because I'm I'm sitting there, even as I'm talking about this, assessing, okay, so where did we go wrong with the flat structure? <laughs> and um, and it's not that we went wrong, we learned a lot from it. <clears throat> but I just thought of something like we've got three brains, and you know this, right? You're a performance marketer. We've got the reptilian brain, we've got the mammalian brain, and then we've got the neocortex, right? And they play a significant role in our function. And the more, and this is one of the things I talk about with our clients when it comes to working with clients or working with team members, the more we understand the mammalian nature of our brain, uh, the easier it is for us to understand certain aspects of our behavior. And because yep. we've got such a massive part of our cortex that is developed and dedicated towards mammalian interaction. And one of the most important things about mammalian interaction, you know, because if the reptilian brain, it's all about fight or flight. Is this safe? Is this, you know, is this, is this, is this an opportunity? And then once that information is processed, it's passed on to the repti- uh, the, the mammalian brain mm-hmm. where it's ranked for social order. What is the social hierarchy of this information? You know, you know, who is it coming from? Are, mm. are they higher up the social command than I am? So are they, you know, more of an authority? Because social hierarchy is all about the perception of authority. You know, and authority has a massive influence on on the millions. And when you consider, I think everybody needs a level of leadership mm. because it's required at a neurological level. And mm. sometimes with a flat structure, if you allow the wrong people to lead themselves, yeah, that's where it's a recipe for disaster. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But I think everyone likes to be led. It, there's such a part, massive part of even leaders. Good leaders will be led by their teams, mm. in my opinion. And we have such a, a significant part of our brain that is, you know, dedicated towards mammalian interactions. Um, you know, and a part of that is that is that hierarchical system. I love it, man. I love it. I'm going to do some bit of research on this. Actually, I'm starting to get into the you know uh, psychology and human behavior and and, and oh, all of that. It's, great it's so life. bloody fascinating. So bloody fascinating. You know, um, it's like you know learning all these little tools that you can have up your sleeve and you can pull them out whenever required, right? Yeah. <laughs> and to a certain degree, like you can almost like manipulate people, right? So easily. Well, this is the thing, and I, and this is what I say to people: the difference between persuasion and manipulation it comes down to one key ingredient and that's intent. Yeah. You know, because there's so much information that can be used to manipulate a situation, but for whose benefit, you know, and this is where as a leader, one of the things that I've learned is the importance of fair exchange, you Mm. know, and the more mutually beneficially that we are able to position things and frame things and deliver them, you know, the more buy-in we get as leaders. Cause I think oftentimes leadership is perceived to be quite dictatorial, dictatorial where it's, you know, it's, 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 it's command and control. 
Whereas for me, I've just learned that the the way that you get the best out of someone is by making them want it. Yeah. You know, not by telling them to want it, not by telling them to do something, making them want to do it. Yeah. And the way that you make someone want to do it is by looking and asking from your perspective without having to ask them, but just maybe through your relationship and going, okay, what's going to be so, what is this outcome going to give them that's, that's, that's already linked to something that's important to them? Mm. You know, and how is this going to be? I'm asking for something, but how do I make this mutually, you know, mutually beneficial in a way where that benefit to you is of top of mind awareness that produces a high level of performance. Fuck, man, I could talk about this to the cows come home. I can make this right? for, for, for ages. It's, it's, it's amazing stuff. Amazing stuff. What are your top two? Actually, I'm going to go to three with you. What are your top three pieces of advice for either anyone in business at the moment wanting to get into business or a mature business? Okay, we'll start with the people wanting to get into business. <laughs> <laughs> let's start on those guys first. Let's just clear those guys out first. Don't. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what is it 96 percent of businesses fail so we're all fucking stupid really well here's the thing mate, mate, is, you know business is like celebrity it's romanticized and people romanticize about business yeah and they romanticize about working for themselves and they romanticize what my experience of being a business owner is for them you know, and they go, oh, it must be so good to be a business owner. And then, you know, you plug someone in. If I could plug someone into a neural link and just go, okay, let me just show you the last 40 years. You go, yeah. they'll go, fuck, I don't want to do that at all. There's no jet plans. Just... There's no Lamborghinis. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just chaos. And, um, it's a lot of chaos. And this yeah. is why I say to people, the chances of you being successful as a business owner are fucking fractional. Like it's, you know, not only is there less than 4% of businesses that survived the first five years, it's less than 1.8% that survived the 10 year mark, but it takes seven to 10 years until people in most cases on average build a million dollar business. So you've got like a point, you know, you've got like 2% chance of being alive in the next 10 years as a business owner. And then you've got a fraction of a percent of even actually making any money out of the, you know, out of the arrangement. And so I think a lot of people really got to assess and go, well, <clears throat> okay, is this really for me? Because as, as a business owner, there's disproportionate amount of stress, you know, emotions. There's so many other things. And don't get me wrong. Those things are incredible opportunities for personal development. And if you're someone that has a high value on growth, okay, and you really suck at relationships, you're going to get into business and go, fuck, uh, this is a real problem. I need to work on that. And by virtue, you're probably going to become better, you know, in other areas of your life. Um, and so for me, yeah, I think there's, uh, I think a lot of people who get into business romanticize about it. They get into it and then they realize it's a lot harder than what it is and then they get out. So for me, I think do that. But at the same time, if you really want to find out if something is for you, go and work inside another business whereby you get the exposure to that. You know, people call it whatever it is. It's the entrepreneurship or whatever. For me, it's just, it's called just common sense. You know, if you want to do this, go and do that for somebody else first. And if you like it, then maybe you can turn it into a, you know, into a bit of a profession. But what I will finish on for that one is the number two is so much more valuable in some cases than a good number one. And the number two doesn't have to take any of the risk. In most cases, we'll earn a bigger wage, okay? And they're not the one whose balls are on the line. But if you're a really good number two, you can have everything and more without having your balls on the line. And that I think I like that. is something that is really underrated, um, you know? And it's again, but it, it's, it's, it's a different profile, different risk profile. <laughs> Now, what was the second one? <clears throat> in business. Best piece of advice in business. Yeah. So let's say this is a business now that's been going five or six years. Five or six years. Okay. Look at the five or six years, Mark. This is probably where, you know, it's probably even happening sooner. And this is where I see the major, the major mistake that people make when they're trying to scale. And so it's, to me, scaling is the first 
one to 10 years of a business, you know, maybe seven years, if you're lucky, um, you can get there. And, you know, one of the most important aspects of scaling any business is, is investment. And so I think one of the most best pieces of advice is that I could give people, you know, in that first seven years of business is understanding that your goal is to find out what your basic cost of living is and then manage that. And then every single dollar that you make above that should be reinvested into the scaling and the development of that investment so that that development and that investment produces more cash flow that will be thrown off that will be reinvested back into that to produce more cash flow now reinvestment to me is in two forms it's in the form of development but it's also in the form of war chesting so development is about you know developing um, uh, systems automation technology uh, talent and teams and the more you develop the more you scale and the second one, what was the second one that I said? It was, um, oh, and so war chesting. Yeah. War chesting to me is something that is radically underrated. Um, we do it with all of our clients uh, as a program whereby you literally are putting cash aside in a higher interest account, but it's just cash that sits there mm. that literally can be utilized in any, in any form of volatility. Mm. And I think most businesses, when they're trying to grow, they're trying to pull money out of the business. They're trying to buy a car. You know, they're trying to buy a new house. They're trying to get an investment property. And I just I scratch my head when I see anyone in the first seven years of business pulling money out of their business to invest in property. Now, mm. you might have a different perspective on this, but this is mine. And mine is, are you fucking kidding me? Like, why would you pull oxygen out of a business that requires it? And the more oxygen you give a business, the faster it's going to grow. Oh, but I want to invest in property. Mate, you do this right for 10 years. You can buy as many investment properties as you That's want. Right. You know, whereas my advice is, don't choke the fire for short-term gains. You know, my advice is put everything in, um, you know, because, and the beautiful thing, don't get me wrong. I love property. I invest in property. But when you look at asset classes, business is the most fundamentally attractive asset class for a whole range of reasons. It is, you know, the, it is the only asset class that has what I'd call the variable, um, a variable rate of value, whereby if I buy a property, you know, the market will always determine what the value of that property will be. Correct. Whereas if I buy a business, the value of that business will be determined by other factors. It's not necessarily just the market, although it's a factor. A big factor is cash flow. A big factor is 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 profitability. A big factor is management. And so, you know, I've got plenty of experience where you can buy a business for half a million dollars. You can spend $100,000 renovating that business and you can sell it for $3 million. Okay. Whereas, you know, it's, you'd have to do a lot of work to buy a property for half a million dollars, renovate like it. Trying to find that yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Good luck finding that anywhere, maybe in the back of Burke. Uh, you know, spend $100,000 renovating it. But to me, you know, whether you're renovating a business or renovating a property, if you're renovating a property, you know, bathroom, you know, gardens, and uh, in most cases, kitchen, if you're renovating a business, in most cases, it's the, you know, it's the mindset of the owner, it's the marketing, it's the sales, you know, and everything in between. Uh, I just think there's a much greater potential for cash on cash return. And in the early days, especially those first seven years, you want to be giving as much life force to that business you know, to be producing more cash flow and to be war chesting in the event, which will probably go to my, what was the third piece of advice? Was that on? No, third piece of advice is for a mature business. I'm talking about the dinosaurs here, the elephants, right? That are fucking slow at moving. Yeah, look, this is a tough one. You know, the the, the dinosaurs in the room, they probably don't want to hear this anyway, but they probably romanticize about how good life was when they were, you know, (laughs) small and nimble. And I think, you know, when you look at any, large business and I'm probably going to sound like you know someone else's podcast here and a bit of a cliche but it's the adaptability I've and this is what I've seen as I've gotten bigger and I'm not like you know multinational or corporate and by any stretch of the imagination but by virtue of size there is obviously um uh, it affects pace it affects Mm. your ability and the speed from which you can move at 
But one of the things that I've identified that affects speed is channels of communication and communication flow. And that's why, you know, for mature businesses, and again, because I work with businesses within our high-end group that are mature businesses, and they might be mature and turning over one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty million dollars, but they still have capabilities to two x, three x, four x, five x, ten x. You know mm, what I mean? Mm, and this mm. is what a lot of people don't realize. We we actually grow a lot of very mature businesses very quickly by just, you know, putting back in the fundamentals that were either never in there in the first place. Or they got lost as a result of you know getting stale over time, and this is Back to basics. a lot of people got to realize. There's a lot of accidentally very successful people in this country. You know, there's a lot of people who Tell accidentally <laughs> made a lot of fucking money because they just got shit right. But then all of a sudden shit goes wrong and they don't know how to fix it because they never really understood it in the first place. They just got a few tracks, or they sell and they go to do something else and they realize, fuck, you know, I was actually really onto something quite good here. That's a very interesting piece of advice, that last one, because I've always said there's a lot of people in business that probably shouldn't be in business, right? And I'll never sit here and claim that I'm anywhere near a good business owner, right? But, you know, I'm still learning and I'm still trying to figure it out as I go. But, you know, you get to meet a lot of businesses and a lot of people that you go, fuck, man, like how the hell have you even got here in the first place? Yeah. You know? Well, here's, yeah. here's an interesting side note. Money has no bias. Money doesn't but, care what color you are. Money doesn't care what religion you are. Money doesn't care if you're fat or you're thin, if you're stupid or you're smart. Money doesn't yeah. fucking care. That's money right. doesn't care if you're good or evil. Money will go where the structures are and the order is and the appreciation and the, you know, the levels of drive and um, you know, execution. That's where it will go. It doesn't care about anything else other than the fact that it wants to be you know, collected and appreciated. Mate, it's so, so true. And there's a lot of people, and I don't mean this in a bad way, but they're just too dumb to fail. <laughs> well, do you know, it's interesting. <laughs> I, I, I agree with that. Some of the best clients that I've ever worked with are ones that, you know, would be, you know, if they were to sit down at an EO or a YO, you know, they'd probably stand out because they would seem like they're out of their depth. Yeah. But, you know, they're incredibly successful in their own right because they keep things really fucking simple. That's simple. You That's know, exactly right. I've met a lot of very complicated idiots in my life, um, you know, who have very shambolic, chaotic businesses and, yeah, I think there's a lot to be said for keeping things very simple. Simplicity is key. Indeed. I'm a big believer, a big believer in that. Kerwin, cool, my man, it's been an absolute pleasure. Honestly, probably one of the best podcasts, and I will say that um, I've recorded in a while. So value packed. Thank you. How Thank do we you. find you? Mate, I'm like you, I'm, I'm a bit of everywhere. So Facebook, we've got a strong representation. Instagram, uh, LinkedIn, TikTok, uh, YouTube. We've got a couple of documentaries on YouTube as well, which, uh, which we've done. And um, KerwinRay.com. Yeah, mate. Thank you so much. And, and the podcast as well. Unstoppable. Oh, the podcast. Fuck, I better give the mate, podcast. What are you talking about? You were just <laughs> on it. Um, <laughs> the podcast, Unstoppable. Great podcast, by the way. We've got people such as Rob on there as well. And, um, you know, we interview, whether it be business leaders, military, professional sports, people have just done some really epic shit and been able to overcome some crazy stuff. I love it, my man. Thank you. And have a great day. And thanks for jumping on the show. Pleasure, Growth Masters, everyone. 